in for a Indeed, here we are on the Fight Freaks Unite recap show after the Tyson Fury sixth round TKO win to successfully defend his WBC heavyweight championship and the lineal heavyweight title at Wembley Stadium on Saturday night. TJ Reeves and Dan Rayfield love Dan's insight as an insider with us on BigFightWeekend.com and his own uh, Substack, his own Fight Freaks Unite. This is also doubling as Dan's recap podcast for Fight Freaks Unite. Right now, if you're watching us live, again, we're doing dual purpose. We're doing live, and then it's also going to be in podcast form, audio podcast form as well on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. If you're watching us live right now on Saturday night, you can get in interactively with some questions uh, with us here through the Big Fight Weekend social channels on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We're live on all three of those things. Again, you can watch us later if you didn't see it live. So if you're seeing us on the social channels, you can watch the whole show but live questions can come through right now while we're talking. All of that blather out of the way. Welcome, Dan Rayfield and Tyson Fury, still the man with a thudding, humongous uppercut to dispatch Dillian White. Welcome, and what are your thoughts? My thoughts are it was maybe a round or two sooner than I predicted, as we talked about, and as you predicted the other day, we discussed uh, at length, I think, the fact that the over-under on the fight was 9.5. I know we both like the under. It was, to me, just a matter of how much under. I thought maybe around eight, maybe seven. He got him in six. And what can you say? It was not a not a particularly good fight, being honest. I mean, but the explosive ending was obviously extremely impressive. I thought Fury fought, you know, very, very well. He did exactly what he needed to do. Smother the guy. Don't let him get off. Keep him at bay. Um, there was a lot of rough stuff. Referee got involved with some fouling and, uh, you know, that, were, that was going on between the guys with headbutts and elbows and, you know, but as Tyson Fury said in his post fight, it's not, uh, you know, they're not belly dancing. It's it's a fight. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure where the corollary between belly dancing and boxing comes in. But nonetheless, uh, his point was taken. It's, uh, you know, protect yourself at all times. And if it gets a little little uh, nasty in there, so be it. Um, you know, Fury did what he what what he does. He kept him at bay and didn't let him in and completely took away any measure of offense from Dillian White. And, you know, I just glanced briefly at the at the punch stats from CompuBox after the fight. Now, they don't necessarily are not the end-all, be-all of the boxing match. But as I have learned in a long time of covering boxing, they generally provide a solid guide to the way the mm -hmm. fight goes. And if you look at those statistics, Fury landed more, Fury threw more, and poor Dylan White never landed double digits in a single round and, you know, landed, you know, almost nothing the entire fight. It just never and didn't give any didn't give Tyson Fury any reason to be worried about what was coming back at him because he was only throwing one punch at a time there was never any semblance of a flow in what he was doing you know it was kind of surprising to me to be honest that when the fight started he came out as a southpaw and started to goof around like that he did that for the first round and then Fury changed up and also turned southpaw to maybe throw him off a little bit but i mean when the fight was over uh, you know, it was the one shot really that did it. I mean, the rest of the fight almost didn't matter because nothing much had happened, even though Fury was clearly winning every single round. And I'm looking at the punch stats here. Uh, White landed 29 of 171, which is only 17%. And 17 of those were body shots, which Fury said in the post fight, he wanted him to go down to the body because he felt like it was going to leave him an opening to throw an uppercut as a counter shot. And that's what happened. Fury landing 76 of 243, which is his normal sort of activity level, 31% uh, of his shots landed. Uh, but it didn't matter because the only shot that mattered was that uppercut that ended the fight. And if you're familiar with Dillian White's previous knockout loss against uh, Alexander Povetkin, 
It also was with an uppercut, with the other uh, other uh, arm, but nonetheless, the uppercut is a punch she is susceptible to, and uh, that's all she wrote. What an event. Um, what, a, what a knockout, and not such a great fight overall. Yeah, so there's a couple of things right away. Let's go back to the beginning in the atmosphere. It was everything we anticipated. Oh, I, uh, TJ, you, uh, I, heard, I heard that there was 94,000 people there. Uh, yeah, and I saw you on social media uh, encouraging people to play the drinking game, and if they had, they were probably drunk by the final undercard fight. They were probably uh, drunk doing... before the undercard. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Fight. But so massive crowd, we knew, massive atmosphere, long ring walk like you talked about, and I've been to Wembley Stadium for NFL football with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it's not like it's a few steps from where the dressing rooms or locker rooms are to get there. Um in fact, it was so long for both guys, it was literally like two minutes plus, and Fury even uh, went in full robe, et cetera, and went and sat on a throne pre-planned on a stage, then got off, then got the robe off and had the T-shirt on, and then jogged to the ring for like another 30 seconds. It's incredible how far it was away, but it just added to the atmosphere. They now dimmed they, the lights. Pick up on that point. No, they could have been there earlier. I mean, obviously, they could have come out of a different area, and they, they purposely planned for a, a, a theatrical ring walk. Um, but it's a longer ring walk than even, you know, if you're in a stadium or in a, in a big arena in the United States. So that obviously was just making the crowd reach uh, you know a fever pitch until the opening bell uh you know and i know some people were sort of i was reading social media people were like complaining about it. i was like you know what that ring walk and that excitement and that energy and the and the, and the music and you know dillian coming into back and in black uh, from acdc and fury with it with a great ring walk also and sitting down on the throne like you said and fireworks honestly the the 10 minutes or so of the ring walk was a heck of a lot more entertaining than that uh terrible undercard that we all sat through um, you know, I'll take those kind of ring walks on that kind of event uh, any day of the week, but because the undercard was unbearable. Yeah, there's no doubt. Undercard uh, wasn't much to watch, that's for sure. Uh, by the way, I'm soliciting here, again, if you're watching us live as we go through the Big Fight Weekend social channels, I'm soliciting your questions that we will see off the Big Fight Weekend Twitter, and we will also see them off the Big Fight Weekend Facebook page. Um, and uh, we'll also see that off of the YouTube page as well. So I'm soliciting for that. Uh, you mentioned the beginning of the fight. So Dillian White came out southpaw, not typical for him, and he did absolutely nothing with that. It just seemed as though that was to try to maybe create an opening, an opportunity for a straight left hand or something. But he, from that first round on, he never figured out how to really get close to Tyson Fury. Could he, Dan Rayfield? That was the story of this fight, and then you were just waiting for what's going to happen if Fury hits him with the big punch. We got our answer. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, Dillian's offense was basically limited to one punch at a time. The ones that were even quasi-effective that didn't really do damage, but they did land, were a handful of body shots. And it just, I don't know if it was the size of Fury that threw him off because he hasn't fought guys that big before. Um, but whatever it was, you know, he looked in good shape. You know, he seemed in good spirits in the in the brief times that he spoke to the press in the week leading up to the fight because he had obviously boycotted the promotion, uh, you know, in the previous weeks. So, I, you know, I didn't get any feeling that there was any sort of uh, problems. Certainly he didn't do an interview, at least not in the ring with the television broadcasters after the fight. I, I'm not sure if he went to the news conference. So, you know, I, I've not heard about any type of injury potentially or anything like that. It just – he just was shut down by the better man. I mean, I don't think there's any question – or there shouldn't be at this point. Tyson Fury's the best heavyweight on the planet, period. End of story. Even though he has not yet fought, uh, you know, Usyk or, or the winner of the rematch with Joshua, I don't – think whoever the winner of that fight is that Tyson Fury would be an underdog to that man um 
he is, uh, you know, etching his name in boxing history. What can you say? I mean, he's coming off the, the, uh, the trilogy, uh, the third fight in the trilogy with Deontay Wilder, which was an all-time classic heavyweight fight that he won by knockout. That was the fight of the year last year. It'll be in the fighter fight of the decade conversation, I'm sure. And, uh, comes into this fight against, by the way, you know, it's not like he was fighting a bum. He's fighting a really reputable quality, top solid, longtime contender who deserved this opportunity, who uh, just for whatever reasons were not able to uh, do anything. You know, it's one thing if you lose a fight, guys lose fights, it happens. Two guys, one guy's going to win, one guy's going to lose and draws are not that common. Uh, but he didn't compete. That's the thing. You know, it's one thing if you, if you just get beat by their better man and he has a better night. But Dillian White just was never in the fight for even a, even any anything in the fight. It was an easy fight to score. I don't think there's any controversy. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen the official scorecards yet, but I'd be very shocked if you saw one wacky scorecard after only uh, you know five rounds. Uh, you know, Tyson Fury fought the fought the perfect fight to get the job done that he needed to do. The bigger man with the bigger reach exercised those advantages and got the knockout win. All right, I'm going to do something here. Let's see if I can execute this in um in sharing the screen here and let's see if uh if you can see this i believe that you're going to be able to see this there it is so uh, we're not allowed to show you live video and again i realize for the audio podcast on fight freaks unite in the recap you're not going to see what we're talking about but we're showing the audience on the live show that we're doing on the saturday night after the fury knockout a uh uh, still photo courtesy of top rank boxing and the great Mikey Williams, who takes tremendous photos, Dan Raphael. Look at that. That's, That's from earlier shot. in the fight, a big time right hand that landed from fury. Uh, it is not the knockout punch that we're looking at, but that, that was kind of the story of the night is that he could not white figure out the distance. The jab bothered him, the right hand bothered him. And then eventually it was an uppercut and very similar, if not the same Dan Raphael as the uppercut that Alexander Povetkin landed with a left hand, it was a left-handed uppercut out of nowhere. Here, Fury used a feigning jab, and then boom, with the right uppercut as as White kind of leaned in and lowered his head. Replay of the knockout almost with a different hand and a different fighter, obviously. And, of course, the, the, the main difference was that when Pavetkin landed the left that knocked him out in their first fight, Dylan White was out cold, basically. I mean, he wasn't moving. He was never – they could have counted to 50. He wasn't getting up. Uh, you have to give uh, Dylan White at least some credit uh, just for the balls and the heart that he showed because even though he was down on a massive shot with that right hand, and there's the picture. Go ahead. He was actually able to get to his feet. He got up, he beat the 10 count, but when the referee, Mark Lyson, uh, asked him to take a step forward, he, he did like a step or so, and then he basically fell into the ropes uh, and, and was all, all discombobulated. And obviously at that moment, that's the clear sign. Uh, on a knockdown, even if you beat the count, that if you can't control your your legs, the referee has no choice. And Mark Lyson did exactly what he is supposed to do in that situation, which is to wave off the fight. There was only one second left in the sixth round, so the official time was two minutes fifty nine seconds. Um, and I'm not sure that 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 even if even if Mark Lyson had allowed the fight to go on after that that dipsy do he did with his legs and gave him the one minute rest period that was going to hit, you know, the next second. Uh, I don't even know. I don't even believe a minute would have been enough for him to collect himself. He was in rough shape. That was a hard, hard knockdown. Um, you know, good for him to get up. He didn't disgrace himself or anything like that. He showed a lot of heart, like I said, uh, but it was too big of a shot to overcome. And uh, that was a, that was a, that was a highlight real kind of knockout. I mean, that goes up there with, uh, you know, with the knockout that he had, that, that Tyson Fury had against uh, Deontay in their third fight. I mean, yeah, the second he fight was a knockout also, but Deontay was also on his feet and the corner was thrown in the towel. 
Yeah, he wore Deontay Wilder down, but it was one last thudding right hand to your point, and it was Timber face first for uh, Deontay Wilder, and this was uh, splat with the uppercut tonight. Again, we're here for a few more minutes on the live show. I'm going to try to get to some comments. There are some people commenting. In fact, let me see if I can do this. Here's our buddy uh, Peter Blake we're, who is we're watching just, us. We're, we're still sort of learning this technology as we Yes, do. we are. My buddy <laughs> Peter Blake right there has come through on the social media channels of Big Fight Weekend on uh, Twitter, on Facebook, and on YouTube. Says show looks and sounds great. Thank you, Peter. Checks in the mail on that one. Uh, again, uh, send on your comments. Send on your questions. I'm going to look on social media as well if some of you have those. Uh, Dan has been sharing it out here, and we've got a lot of people watching us, by the way, uh, here by the dozens and dozens and dozens, at least by our count here, that are watching the recaps. So we'll be here for a few more minutes. Again, for those that may just be seeing this, I realize this is also an audio podcast. The Fight Freaks Unite recap is an audio podcast. But again, folks, we're doing a live show. It's dual purpose. Some people may have just tuned in. Dan, say again, why was this such a one-sided, not great action-packed fight? What are the reasons that Tyson Fury turned it into that and then eventually landed the booming shot for those that are just joining us? I just think that that uh, that Dillian White had so much trouble dealing with Tyson Fury's size, the height and the reach. You know, yeah, you know, it's not something you can get used to in other fights. It's hard to get the right sparring, let's say, to simulate a guy that's six nine, who's that limber, who's that light on his feet, who also obviously carries good power, who's a, a technical boxer. Um, and, and Tyson has become more of a knockout puncher. Uh, part of that, I think, is maybe some, as they said in the post-fight interview, some of the training methods that he has employed with Sugar Hill Stewart, his trainer, who, of course, is the nephew of the great trainer, Emmanuel Stewart, who lived in and pre when he when he was alive and training fighters preached about, you know, wanting to get knockouts. I mean, who could forget the images of him in the corner when Lennox Lewis was fighting uh, Mike Tyson, you know, yelling at him to get the knockout or when he was with Vladimir Klitschko. I remember a fight against Eddie Chambers that had gone into the was about to go into the the 12th round, I believe, and he was just furious that he hadn't gotten a knockout. And finally, uh, uh, Vladimir Klitschko delivered the knockout. Uh, but, you know, he comes from a line where they preach knockouts. That's the way to make sure that it's no doubts and that there's no controversy, get the knockout. Um, but but Dylan White just could not handle uh, the the size. And, you know, tried to make they, – they both were making it a little bit dirty. I think he might have been a little bit – we didn't discuss this part of it. Earlier in the fight before the knockout, there was the uh, headbutt that opened up a cut over Dillian White's right, right. eye. It definitely had to cause him some consternation, some problem. I don't think the blood was necessarily in the eye, you know, causing him to be unable to see any of the punches. But, you know, it's just another thing you have to overcome. It's hard enough to deal with Tyson Fury when you're not cut and damaged and, and everything. And then all of a sudden you got blood uh, going down your face. You know it's you're losing the fight. You know you're in for a long night. And it's just another thing that you have to deal with. And, you know, he just – just, I mean, I, and I'm not saying this to, like – be nastier to to denigrate or to put down Dillian White. He just didn't really show up. That's the thing. And uh, and I'm I'm not surprised by what we saw. It's easy to say after the fact. We knew the size was going to be a challenge. We knew Fury was in shape. You talked about that leading up on our preview coverage, written and audio and video. You said he looks in shape, looks uh, focused. Yeah, that was Fury. big trouble. All those checks in the boxes are big trouble for Dillian White. And, and the champ kept him at distance and eventually laid him out. We have another comment. Let me see if I can get to this. I, I would say this, uh, TJ, by yeah. Fury, Fury standards, uh, he wasn't good. He was in terrific shape. I mean, again, it may not look like it because he does still have a little bit of around the middle and all. But for Tyson Fury, that's that was in, he's obviously in condition mm. for this fight. I mean, mm -hmm. I know it went to the sixth round, but he wasn't even 
you know, huffing and puffing for for two seconds didn't seem like like thirteen pounds lighter than the than the or eleven pounds lighter than the well, one. He was, what, he was two sixty four for the fight against Dylan White, and he was I believe it was two seventy seven, which was his career heavy for the fight in October uh, last year against uh, Deontay Wilder. Which which I mean, you know, believe him or not, I kind of tend to believe him. He wanted to be a bit heavier to go against uh, Wilder. And he made the point that it was a shorter camp than usual for for different reasons, not not the least of which was that after his wife had given birth uh, to their sixth child, the, the 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 daughter was in medical duress, and he was in you know in England with his family, so he got a late start in his training camp. So obviously he wasn't taking the weight off like he might have if he was training you know for many more weeks. And he made the point that for the fight here against Dylan White, it was like a 14 week training camp. There was no reason why he wasn't going to be in uh, you know not, I won't say better shape, but at least a little bit lighter anyway. But uh. I don't know. There's really no, there's no other accolades you can give him. He Tyson again, while it wasn't maybe the most aesthetically pleasing, exciting, entertaining fight that you're going to go back and want to watch over and over, you know, you may watch the highlight or the clip of the knockout over and over, but uh, Tyson Fury, you know, he, he did exactly what he had to do. He fought a great fight. I mean, uh, and Dylan White didn't, that's the end of the story. All right. Uh, we got my buddy, uh, David Payne, who was on our preview show, uh, the boxing writer. And David says with, uh, with events of this size, he's curious here, and the venue so filled with fans only interested in the main event, have we seen the end of quality undercards? I think that's a valid point that David is making here. Dan, what are your thoughts on uh, that? I don't think so. I think that they were just cheap. They didn't want to spend the money on an undercard. And you can put on a good undercard, too, by the way, without having to break the bank either. You just have to have you know, the right matchups in terms of your matchmakers. You can still make interesting fights. I mean... Other than this fight at Wembley, look at the matchups uh, and the undercards say that the other big events that have taken place at Wembley that have been put on by Matchroom Boxing that Eddie Hearn has done. Uh, generally, those undercards have had at least a couple of other very interesting fights in them. You know, and say what you want about Eddie Hearn. I know he gets a lot of stick from a lot of people. Uh, but I think Eddie Hearn and the people at Matchroom Boxing, they take pride in putting on a good event and, uh, and, and, and more than just giving the fans a main event. They want to have uh, their, their other fighters in there. They have a big stable. They've got, a, especially from the UK point of view, they have a lot of quality fighters. Uh, the reality is that uh, in, in, the, in the Queensbury promotion stable that Frank Warren runs, um, they also have some good fighters too, but they don't have nearly the depth of, of quality uh, that Matchroom does. So I think it's a combination. I think it was they didn't want to spend the money and they don't have the depth of quality that they could even mount that, the, uh, the caliber of an undercard that this type of mega event demands. And what people don't understand, at least this is my perspective on it, and you can disagree if you want. I couldn't care less. Uh, the undercard is not necessarily meant to, um, you know, I know it costs money, but the idea is, you know, give your customers something to be proud of that they've come to. And by the way, if the main event turns out to be terrible, which is always a possibility, at least they've gotten some value for their money on the undercard. Right. Then right. goes to the people that are spending the $70 in the United States for the uh, pay-per-view on ESPN or the people that are in uh, uh, the UK that are buying the pay-per-view uh, for, I believe it was 25 pounds uh, on a BT sport box office. So, you know, you have to give a little bit of uh, something besides just the main course you give them a nice appetizer you give them something uh, something else besides just the main event and by the way it's also a way that if you have this mega event and you've got all those you know people watching and you put on something interesting in the undercard there's a good chance that if somebody pops on that undercard and makes a nice fight or an exciting fight now you they're going to make their fans and it's going to help grow their exposure now top rank which had nothing to do with this particular undercard because it was all a queensbury you know they weren't thrilled with the undercard they were disappointed with the undercard uh 
you know, and say what you want about the top ranked fights. They've had some dog undercards also over the years, but they've also <laughs> had a lot of really good ones too. Um, again, they're not all perfect, and I get that, and I understand how the business works and and all that. But you know, this one for the caliber of this event was particularly horrendous. Yeah. I like that phrase, particularly horrendous. A uh, couple more minutes here with Dan Rayfield. It's the Fight Freaks Unite recap show that is live, and it's also in podcast form on the Big Fight Weekend uh, podcast page. By the way, we might as well take the uh, the opportunity here to promote that visually if you're watching us uh, as well. You want to go subscribe to the podcast feed uh, here with, uh, with Big Fight Weekend. So I'm showing you that podcast feed right here on your screen. If you're watching us live, go search under Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts for Big Fight Weekend's podcast feed. Fight Freaks Unite is right there as a recap podcast. Also, Dan recently interviewed uh, Errol Spence, the uh, unified world welterweight champion. You'll get an automatic notification when there's a new podcast. We're usually out with a recap podcast after the fights, at least by Monday morning. Here we went ahead and did one on Saturday night that's already out. You'll get an automatic notification when there is a new one if you are following or subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get the podcast. And again, a preview podcast every week, usually out on Friday morning, Friday midday, to preview the weekend's fights. The Big Fight Weekend preview podcast is there too on the feed, and there's more stuff coming on that feed uh, as well, Dan Rayfield. You know that we've got big things uh, in store coming up. All right, a few more moments left. Let me get some quick uh, insight historically for uh, for our audience here and from you. Where does Tyson Fury belong right now in the conversation? Certainly you can make the argument he belongs right there with Lennox Lewis among British heavyweights. Where else do you put him in the mix with the likes of a Muhammad Ali, a Larry Holmes, a, a Mike Tyson? I'm going to leave somebody out. Give me, give me who else is in the mix. And where does Fury belong in this with the win over Klitschko 2015, Two official wins and a draw against Deontay Wilder, and now this knockout. Where do you put him in the mix, Dan? Listen, he's he's a hell of a fighter. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's in my mind at this point, he's for sure cemented himself as a Hall of Famer. That's obvious. Uh, but you know, I listened to to my guys from ESPN, my longtime colleagues, uh, Joe Tessitore, Mark Kriegel, Timothy Bradley, who were talking about it in the post, uh, you know, in their post uh, pay per view show about the fight. All due respect to them, when they start labeling him as one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, I, I, I understand they're there, they're caught up in the moment. I don't right. I'm not even knocking that. I get it. I've done that myself. I'm I've been guilty of that at times also. But I'm taking a step back and I'm thinking about a hundred plus years of heavyweight history. Mm-hmm. And Fury is a tremendous fighter, obviously. You don't have to be a genius to know that. Just look at the recent fights he's had. But come on, he just does not have any semblance of longevity in terms of doing it at the highest level. So if you want to really, when his career really became significant, even though he was a good contender before he fought Klitschko, obviously the Klitschko fight was the big one because he ended up winning a bunch of the belts and the lineal title. He did not fight well in that fight. It's that Klitschko fought horrible. It was like one guy fought like shit and one guy fought worse. Okay. That's (laughs) my Bring in the heat. Keep going. I'm just being honest. I mean, that was a horrible, horrible fight. And neither guy did much of anything. And Fury was able to obviously do, uh, you know, he didn't, he won the fight. I'm not saying he didn't win, but it was not the kind of performance you write home about. I'm not going to romanticize about it many years later about what a brilliant performance it was because it wasn't. Okay. But he won. No, I'm not knocking, not knocking it whatsoever. He got the victory, deserved it. And, you know, he was the heavyweight champ of the world and, and then Klitschko wasn't. 
So now after that happens, you know, we know the story of Tyson Fury. He was in a bad way, whether it was the drugs, the alcohol, he was having mental health problems. The, you know, he ended up being stripped or vacating all of the, the alphabet belts. He's still the lineal champion because he hadn't lost in the ring, but he was out of the, out of the sport for, you know, what, three years, uh, came back, you know, had two soft, low level 10 rounders, which he deserved after the types of things he'd been through against, uh, you know, Sefer Safari, you know, knocked him out. In right. four Didn't really look that good, but he was fighting a complete, you know, low-level opponent. Then he had to win a 10-rounder against uh, Francisco Pianetta, who was like a fringe contender at one point, actually fought for the title and got uh, beat up by Klitschko at one point. So now he's got the two fights under his belt to come back. He's entitled to that after everything he went through. No issue there. Now he gets to fight against Deontay Wilder. Looked really good in that fight. They ended up calling it a draw. He got knocked down heavily twice in the fight. Uh, but but a lot of people, most people thought he deserved to win the fight. And then he did the deal with top rank and he comes back. And what does he do? He fought Tom Schwartz, who we never heard of before the, the Tyson right. Fury fight. We've never heard of since the Tyson Fury fight. Then he fought Otto Whalen, who he almost lost to because he got busted up with the bad, bad cut from a punch. Uh, you know, that would have been stopped in a lot of places. But to all credit, the Fury gutted it out, showed a lot of heart, got the win, deserved the win. Um, but I don't think it was a great performance. I don't even think Tyson Fury thinks it was a great performance. So those were the two fights in between the, the other uh, fights with Deontay Wilder. Great, great performance in the second Wilder fight with the knockout. And obviously the fight of the year in the third fight where he was also down multiple times. Uh, and then he comes back against Dillian White. And so while I appreciate the talent, yep. he obviously is a superstar. He obviously has pound for pound level skills. He's obviously going to be in the Hall of Fame. There are enough things that you can say, well, this, that, and the other, why I'm not putting him in the top 10 of all time. Come on. I'm not putting him ahead. Again, if he continues his career, he's, if he decides to go on and not retire, like he said he would do, he certainly has you know years left where he could achieve that, at least in my opinion. Um, but there are too many other all-time greats to put him against. Now, that's does not, well, okay, let me go down the list. Does not belong with Joe, with Joe Lewis, going way back. Does not no, belong but, but with Rocky Marciano. Here, here's the thing, though. The, yeah. There's two schools of thought. Are we talking yeah. about what guys have achieved? Right. Or are we talking about how they would match up if they literally fought each other? No, just what they've achieved. So okay, Joe Lewis theory... doesn't doesn't belong in that category. Rocky Marciano doesn't belong in that category, right? Hasn't won enough title fights. Rock Marciano Muhammad won, Ali, like, Joe wow. Frazier, George Foreman, even Correct. Mike Tyson who defended the title. Larry title. Holmes, Larry, Larry Holmes, Holmes, Lennox, Lennox Lewis. Lewis, Klitschko, Vitaly Klitschko. They all had, you know, Vladimir had uh 18 defenses in the in the second title reign and, and several others in the first title reign, 29 appearances in world title fights. His brother had something like eight or 10 in his second title reign. But here's the thing. <clears throat> if you're talking about a matchup of the two of the right. Fury against whoever <clears throat> on one fantasy night, could he beat an Ali? Sure. Could he beat a Joe Lewis? Because of his size, the answer is probably yes. But in terms of where you put them in the pantheon, I'm not putting them up there yet. Get a drink of water. All right. We're here for a couple more moments. It's Fight Freaks Unite. Dan Rachel is <laughs> on fire here with this. Um, well, the one thing that we have not addressed, again, Tyson Fury knocking out Dillian White tonight <laughs> in front of, Dan, was it 94,000? I think I might have heard that. I, I heard 94,000. I think I heard that once or twice. At Wembley Stadium, record crowd, uh, phenomenal atmosphere, and they got, a, they got a knockout. And Fury, again, was out in the British uh, flag, not the Union Jack, but the British flag with the St. George's logos and trunks and red and red shoes. And why, why am I just telling you that? I can show you this again for the audio podcast. Sorry, I know it's only an audio podcast, but for uh, you folks that are watching us live here, uh, you will be able to see what 
Fury was in right now up on your screen. There he is with the St. George's white and red uh, trunks and the red shoes as he laid out Dillian White in the sixth round with an uppercut that White really he, he barely got up from and was in no condition to continue. Um, and so that's a six-round stoppage, a TKO, the 23rd knockout of uh, Fury's career. Interestingly, it's his first uh, – well, I mean, in the U.K., he gets this knockout win. He got the two knockout wins over uh, Deontay Wilder, obviously, in the United States. So the conquering hero came home. He got his KO. That's my point uh, on that. Uh, what well, happens next? Well, we uh, have to discuss what happened in the ring afterwards. With, all right, uh, so let's talk about that. Right, uh, what okay. happens next here? Fury brings a UFC guy, Francis Ngannou, into the ring. Do you? I mean, first of all, he says on the first interview to BT Sport and on the pay per view that they're doing, they got the first interview. I am retiring. I said to my wife, I was going to retire after the Deontay Wilder third fight. I'm I'm retiring. Then in the next breath, he goes over to ESPN for the interview on their pay per view with Top Rank. And he's got Francis Ngannou in the ring, a UFC star. Pick it up on that point, Dan. Well, he did say in his original comments, they did two interviews. They showed the BT Sport interview and then the ESPN interview. Uh, And I forget which one it was, but he said this might be the last one. So already there was like at least a door is cracked open that it's not a definitive retirement. But more significantly, when he brought – remember, going back a couple of months ago or however long ago was when Ngannou defended the UFC heavyweight title and there was a lot of complaints – uh, from him and, and others associated with him and fans of USC that feel like their fighter pay is not what it should be. And it was revealed, I think he made like, you know, $4 million, whatever the number was, it was dramatically less yes. than, than, the, than the, you know, 25 or 30 million that Tyson Fury was making. It was a fraction of the money of what, what the equivalent champion in the, in, in the other combat sport would make for a title defense. But there was a lot of conversation that maybe there would be sort of in the vein of like Titus uh, when uh, Floyd Mayweather fought Conor McGregor, that there might be a fight between Fury and, 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 and him with the UFC fighter coming to the boxing ring the way that Conor McGregor did. But in the post fight of his victory against Alien White, Nagano was there as a, uh, I guess, a guest of one of the sponsors uh, and was in the ring. They were very respectful to each other and they were like, this fight's going to happen. And the, the caveat to it, at least in Tyson Fury's mind of why it's not, breaking his vow to retire from boxing is because they mentioned that if we fight or when we fight is how they phrase it, that it's not going to be a boxing match. Like we expected the way when Connor and Floyd fought, it was a straightforward officially sanctioned boxing match, the 49 and O Floyd Mayweather fighting the O and O Connor McGregor in boxing. Uh, This would be, as they mentioned um, in a boxing ring, I guess is this is what they're saying, uh, but wearing four ounce UFC type gloves um, they didn't mention anything about other rule changes, whether, you know, kicking or grappling or anything like that. I can't can I the, stop you. I can't believe Fury would agree to any of that, would would agree to any of the wrestling, kicking, submission hole stuff. I, I, I know well, he's yeah, done yeah. professional wrestling, but I can't see him agreeing to that. What do you I mean, think? You have to wait to see how it plays out. I mean, he he did. He did. I mean, granted, it's scripted. He did partake in a WWE match, uh, you know, a couple years ago in Saudi Arabia. Uh but I can see him doing a four-ounce uh, gloves uh, as part of the rules. I mean, as he says time and again, he's a fighting man. Uh, you know, the, his father, you know, they did bare-knuckle fighting. I mean, it just so happens he was very good with the gloves on. Um, and listen, if they do that kind of a match, whether it's considered an exhibition or I don't know if, what, if it's an official fight, what, what, uh, where, where that would be recorded because it wouldn't be an actual boxing match. It wouldn't be under MMA rules. Uh, whatever it is, though, if they actually do that fight, uh, Tyson, or who somebody suggested Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas would be mm-hmm. a true mega, mega, mega event. 
and he can cash another gargantuan check. And uh, for a guy like Francis Ngannou, who hasn't really made that kind of money as a UFC fighter, he's obviously looking at a massive, massive payday for him. Um, and I don't know this specifically because I don't follow the, the ins and outs of the UFC on a, on, a, on a regular basis like so many others. But my understanding is that his UFC contract is coming up very, very soon. Correct. Which, if that's the case, then he's a free agent. Um, that that's a possibility. Tyson Fury's contract with top rank is coming up very, very soon. Also, it might've even ended. I have to go back and double check, but this might've been the last fight of that deal. The point is they're not, no one's going to stop Tyson Fury from having that kind of fight. If Nagano was available to make that kind of money. So for him, it's not breaking the retirement because he's not doing an official boxing match, but just doing a big uh, combat sports event that would obviously attract a gargantuan global audience. Think about it. The boxing heavyweight champion against the UFC heavyweight champion. I mean, in, 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 a, in a fight that would be more fair because it would not necessarily be specifically one uh, sport or the other. I mean, obviously, there'd be a, a ton of people watching it. As, as, as Tyson Fury said, and, you know, with all due respect to Floyd Mayweather and to Conor McGregor, he's like, this isn't a couple of guys. He said 140 pounds. Obviously, they were a little heavier. But his point is taken. These are the big boys. These are the heavyweights. <laughs> Well, let's see how realistic that is. Again, I'm on the record right away on the front end of this thing. He's not going to agree to UFC-style rules with submissions and grappling and you're, that you're kind of thing. You're probably right about that. that but, that's not That's not. But good. even if they do it with, uh, like, boxing rules but with the smaller gloves, right. that's still a very okay. big difference. Give me, uh, just before we go here, and we've gone a little long, but it's the Fight Freaks Unite uh, post-fight show that you're seeing either live or you're hearing us in podcast form on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. TJ Reeves, Dan Rayfield, if you're only hearing us, uh, after Tyson Fury's six-round TKO over Dillian White, he remains undefeated. He is still the Gypsy King. He is still the WBC title holder and is uh, is in, in certain position now, as I segue to this, to fight the winner of Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua for the undisputed title. Gauge me a percentage on the Saturday night right after this fight. Does Fury 10% chance, 25% chance, go ahead and follow through and fight for the undisputed title that he once held again? You know, what do you gauge well, it at? He never held the undisputed title from the standpoint of having all four belts at the same time. Right, right. And so he's he's been, he's had at one time or another all of those belts because he had the other three when he beat Klitschko. He obviously right. got the WBC title belt when he beat uh, uh, Deontay Wilder and he's been, you know, the ring magazine champion, the lineal champion, whatever. So he's had all the belts, at least, you know, as he, you can go probably go into his house and find a mantle or a, or a case. And he's got at least one of each one of the organizational belts plus the ring title. But as it was suggested after the fight, I think it might've been on the ESPN post show. And it sort of made sense to me. I think it was Mark Kriegel that was saying this. It would not be a total shock. No, look, Joshua and, and Usyk are going to take care of their business. The fight's not been 100% settled yet in terms of where it's going to be. As I reported the date on, uh, on hold that's penciled in is July 23rd. Uh, um, and so therefore, while that fight is being dealt with this summer, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for Fury against Naganu to perhaps fight later in the summer, maybe at the end of the year. And then whatever happens with Usyk and Joshua, Fury decides, you know, he wants to come back. He's still going to, uh, you know, I won't believe he's necessarily retired. You know, maybe if he vacates the WBC title, you might put some stock in it. Um, but if he holds on to it and he decides to come back, takes care of Naganu, we'll see what happens with that. Is it out of the realm of possibility that at this time next year, you know, March, April, that that could happen for the uh, undisputed title with the winner of, of, of Usyk against Joshua? Because remember, the winner of Usyk-Joshua 
wouldn't be coming off a dramatically long layoff. I mean, if they fight at the end of July for the winner of that fight to then come back in like March, April, I mean, that's not, that's what, seven, six, seven, eight months at the most. That's totally normal in this day and age of boxing. Uh, if you're Tyson Fury, you can bank a gigantic purse, gigantic money for, mm-hmm. I think he could achieve nine figures for the Naganu fight. And probably given the, the uh, interest in sites for the undisputed fight, like the Saudi Arabia uh, situation, like they did for the, the Joshua Andy Ruiz rematch, there'd be a gigantic amount of money there too. He can probably make another nine figures for the undisputed fight. So he's, wow. you know, he's in his early thirties. He's still fighting at the top of his game. He's got at least two gigantic mega events that could easily get him another couple hundred million dollars to do something that he likes to do, by the way. It's not like anybody forces Fury. He always talked about how much he loves boxing. How it's what has helped him get through his mental health problems. So it's not like no one's forcing him to do something that he doesn't like to do. Um, why would you walk away? You know, your, your, your life as an athlete is fleeting. And he's in his prime right now. Uh, I, I hope he sticks around. I mean, I don't want to see him walk away damaged, but he's so – he didn't take any damage tonight whatsoever. He's had harder – you know, I guarantee you if I talked to Jared Anderson and he was truthful, Jared Anderson has probably given him harder sparring than Dillian White gave him in a real fight tonight. So if he's not getting damaged and he's winning right. and he's undefeated and he's the champ and he's making gazillions of dollars and the fans love him, I don't know how you walk away from that. Agreed. And he made $30 million plus for the two Wilder fights and $30 million plus, and he gets the bonus, right? He gets the $4 I was just gonna say million that. bonus. So what does he get tonight for this total? What do we think? Well, based on the purse bid split, he was entitled to like $29 million of that 41. Uh, but part of that went into uh, the 20% that the WBC holds on to and gives it to the winner. So he gets $4.1 million-ish on the bonus. Now, what people don't realize is that to make the fight happen so Frank Warren could bid as high as he bid and to make it actually occur, uh, they have not said this on the record. But trust me, they got Tyson Fury to come for lesser than what the actual percentage was of the purse bid. Not maybe dramatically less, but a little bit less to make it work in terms of the financials. I don't think we have to worry about Tyson Fury. He can pick up the tab on the on the, yeah. on the drinks and the, and the dinner tonight or the hotel or whatever. He made at least like 30 million bucks, you got to figure. So no, point no being, close to 100 million on the last three fights. So financially, he's set forever just on yep. that. But you stand to make significantly 50 million or more to fight in Ganu or maybe fight the undisputed fight. I think that it's not unrealistic, and people's eyes now, Dan, are glazing over on the money that's thrown around at professional athletes and but professional here's the thing. Here's whatever, the but it could be legit in this case. Absolutely. I mean, the, the point is very simple. You tell me what person walks away from that kind of opportunity to make that kind of money to do something that they truly like doing. You know? That's why I think he still fights, and I think you agree with that. Is it Nganu next? Is it the undisputed challenge of the winner of Usyk and Joshua? I'm pretty we convinced that whatever comes to pass, whatever the whatever the, the the combat that he chooses, we're going to see Tyson Fury in another event where he's hitting another guy. How about that? Yeah, I think, I think we will. Okay, one more time on the recap. Again, the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. If you're hearing us, if you're seeing us on the video, we're right after the Fury win over Dillian White. Saturday night retains the WBC, the Ring Magazine, and Dan wants me to continue to repeat, lineal heavyweight championship by it's virtual It's the fact, my man. It's the I'm fact. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm catering to your lineal. You don't have I'm to cater. Feeding the, I'm feeding the, line, the lineal beast. It's not uh, something that needs – it's not a beast. It's just a reality. 
He's the lineal champion the same way he's the WBC champion. And somebody asked me, by the way, why do you never make the big deal about the lineal champion uh, until more recently? Number one, that's not true. I've been writing and talking about the lineal championship, particularly in the heavyweight division, my entire boxing writing career, which is 22 years. Secondly, the reason why it became a bigger deal in the case of Tyson Fury is because it's highly unusual, although it has happened. Uh, George, uh, Shannon Briggs as one example, George Foreman as one example. Uh, it does happen to be that usually the guy that's the lineal champion also has some of the actual sanctioning organization titles. So you don't need to really say anything different. In the case of Tyson Fury, for the last several years since post Klitschko, when he was uh, relieved of those belts because of his own issues, um, the only thing he had was the lineal title. Sort of the same thing, you know, when George Foreman had beaten Michael Moore and became the champion again and won uh, belts that night. He ultimately was stripped of those titles for not making mandatory defenses. So when he fought Shannon Briggs, he didn't have a belt, but he was still the lineal champion from defeating Michael Moore. And then obviously Shannon Briggs got the, you know, got the gift decision against Big George, but became the lineal champion. And then when, when Briggs got knocked out by Lennox, the lineal championship was now melded with the WBC title. So you didn't really need to talk about lineal anymore. And that's the reason why lineal has become such a big deal with Fury because he spent so many years without an actual title belt. But he's still the lineal champ because he's still the man who beat Klitschko who cleaned up the division. Well said on recapping that. I think that we're pretty well done. Final thought again, audience watching us here. Thank you. We got a couple of comments in again on the Big Fight Weekend a podcast feed. If you found us on Fight Freaks Unite, thank you for doing that. Also, Dan, any final thoughts as, uh, as Fury is victorious, gets the hand raised in England in front of the home country. Again, I, I anticipate that pay-per-view for that price probably did a half million buys and may have done a million buys. There were a lot of TVs and screens that were on that fight tonight. It's a conquering night for Tyson Fury. When you say Corbin. that number, do you mean in Britain or you mean in America? In Britain. I don't think it did very well oh, here. No, in, in, in maybe Britain, maybe 100,000 here, fair. Oh, maybe, no, it would in, would in more Britain, than 100,000 be a bonus, you think, for top-ranked ESPN in the United States? But I think in England it was at least a half million, if not a million. I'm you. sure it was a half million in Britain. I'd be shocked if it didn't do closer to a million in Britain, frankly. I mean, I think if you get 100,000 people roughly yep. clamoring for tickets, you know that you've hit the, the public spotlight, and it was everywhere in Britain and their media. Uh, no, it's going to do a gigantic number in Britain. I don't, you know, No doubt about it. It's going to be over a million buys, in my mind, by a long shot. In America, the combination of the fact that the fight was in Britain, that it was not involving an American, that it was in a, a time that was not normal, that that sports boxing consumers are used to for for significant pay-per-view fights because of the time that it came on given the time difference uh no they don't have high expectations in america for the fight in terms of gigantic pay-per-view numbers will it exceed a hundred thousand i would have to say absolutely but is it going to be over two hundred thousand that's sort of like the sort of my like my line of demarcation Uh, i wouldn't necessarily consider that bad because the reality is the major money comes from britain and the site and that the United States is almost like just another revenue stream. So the same way if it sold for, you know, you know, you sold it in another country for X thousands of dollars, you know, they just total up the rest of the world. Um, you know, the United States is just going to be like the biggest money from another territory outside of England. Um, but they're going to do just fine in my mind. No one's going to be crying poverty. No, not at all. And it's a conquering night again for Fury in his home country to come back home, first fight there in four years, and score a championship win for the first time ever on English turf with the KO of Dillian White. Dan Rayfield, great stuff. Appreciate your time, as always, on the live Fight Freaks Unite show after it's over. And again, if you're finding us on podcast, make sure you subscribe or follow the podcast feed. 
get more from Dan's content. Dan, thank you. Great stuff here tonight. All right, man. Good to talk to you. Always good to be with him. Always good to have you. Whether you saw us live or on the podcast feed, go to Dan's Substack, Fight Preach Unite, and make sure that you're on our Big Fight Weekend website and social media channels uh, as well for everything. I am nearly TJ Reeves. Tyson Fury is the man. Victorious by TKO over Dillian White. We've been talking all about it on the Fight Freaks Unite recap show. Bye.